Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain what I'm feeling right now, guys. Let's open up that raid Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USC is... Going to do the same thing again year after year? Oh no! Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Random Troy Radio, episode three hundred and eighty-seven, coming to you on Tuesday, November third. It is one of the most historic and anticipated days in our nation's history. That's right, the dropping of. The annual season predictions episode here on Reign of Troy Radio. We're super excited to get to it. One of the things we're always asked about all offseason, how many games are, is SC going to win? Who's SC going to beat? Who's SC going to lose to? We're going to answer those questions here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, Omni, wherever you can get a podcast, we are there. As always, you can get our bonus episodes on Patreon, patreon.com slash Troy. Our email address is Troy at fansite.com, and our phone number is 213-373-1USC, second Woodsburn Woods show. show. I'm your co-host. Join along with my... I will... I am a co-host. I'm Michael Castillo, joining along with my co-host, as I botched that, a great way to start a new season. Alicia Deratola here in the Raid of Troy studios in Los Angeles. Hello, everybody. Hello. This is, this is it. This is, this is what we've been looking for for so long. So many people have been anticipating this moment, looking forward to it while dreading it. All that, all the anticipation comes down to our season predictions. They are finally here, and for a long stretch there, I think both of us thought they would never come, certainly not in 2020. So uh, little things to be grateful for. And uh, yeah, it's it's nerve-wracking time too because now we have to put our, our money where our mouth is and actually make some predictions, which scares me. I mean, yeah. Uh, Does it? You don't want people hunting you down in a, in a couple of weeks if, you, if you're wrong? Well, I mean, the the problem always is, is that what I think USC should do and what USC does do, uh, they, they don't always match up. 
Pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Well, you're going to be playing the other button later, so. Ooh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, 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 well. Uh, yeah, we're, we're excited to get to the predictions today. Uh, we have our first game preview episode dropping on Thursday. Look forward to that, USC and Arizona State, which always leads us to the awkward moment of talking about that game in this episode and then doing the game preview two days later. Uh, so that's going to be fun. But uh, we're excited to get to that game preview and really delve into uh, making our over-under picks. We're doing season-long over-unders in this episode. And, of course, USC against Arizona State over-unders uh, in our next episode on Thursday, leading you into the game Saturday morning, 9 a.m. kickoff at the Coliseum on Big Fox, the Trojans, and the Sun Devils. Uh, if you did not listen to last week's episode, uh, last week's two episodes, one of them included our roundtable with our friends Keely Yor of USCFootball.com and then Saban Jabari and Kenny Martin of Traveler Hates Thursdays. One of, one of my favorite episodes to put together every single year, and it was a super fun time. Go listen to that. But at the beginning of it, you know, speaking of being wrong with predictions, we made a huge, huge error as a collective group. Well, I think the error that we made was not so much the wrongness of our predictions, but of trying to predict what it was that USC was going to do in the first place, knowing that we were going to get, you know, found out within a few hours. So, eh. yeah, if you didn't listen to the episode, I'll spoil it a little bit for you. Uh, we started off by opining about what USC was talking about with a bunch of hyped up tweets uh, that included little snippets of Keaton Slovis, Clay Helton, Matt Leinert going into a theater of some sort uh, with popcorn and saying, like, tomorrow's the day and blah, 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 and we didn't know what it was going to be. We all thought it would be a hype video of some sort. We know that SC went out and hired the LSU guys to be the, the new video team. We all figured it was something along those lines. Nope. It ended up being, as I will read from the USC press release, uh, in preparation for the advancements in name, image, and likeness rights for student-athletes next year, USC football announced an alliance with J1S to launch BLVD Studios. The innovative in-house creative lab will provide resources, education, and strategy to help student-athletes build, promote, and leverage their brands to maximize their market value. And uh, per Twitter... J1S is a creative agency focused on connecting brands with the acti active lifestyle consumer. This was put together with a video, a three-minute video, that featured a premiere at the band's Chinese theater, a, a McLaren, a speedy-looking McLaren. Uh, no word if Lando Norris was the driver, although in the credits, <laughs> the driver's name was Orlando, so it could have been Lando Norris, you never know. Um, there was a barbecue at a, at a Hollywood Hills mansion, a rapper, nobody knew who it was, at least not us as, as old people. Um, <laughs> and Clay Helton flipping burgers. And the video has since been deleted. Yeah. The, so not a, a hype saga. video. Not a hype video, but sort of, but not, not a hype video. It was a hype video for not the season. It was a hype video for the Boulevard Studios, which 
like I'm so very torn on all of this. Um, one, Boulevard Studios is a really good idea by USC. I think it's the right way to go. It's USC jumping out in front of the name, image, and likeness uh, phase of college football. I think it's it's innovative. I think it's a uh, kudos, bravo to USC for going out there and and creating this partnership and going all in on it. Um, the the video was a bit strange to watch. Uh, my first reaction to it was, well, this is weird because we're in the middle of COVID and this video was very clearly filmed in an alternate universe where, or maybe in a future where COVID is not something that we're all concerned about. But I got over that pretty quickly and, you know, it was, it was what it was. The, the, the song that they did was pretty, uh, I don't know. I thought it was pretty catchy. Um, the whole thing was, was very much not necessarily my style but it it felt like it was a it was USC really hyping up this this creative partnership and so i by the end of it i was just basically sitting there going like eh, not for me but more power to you and i think that's kind of the the way that you came out of it michael yeah i i very much looked at this video i'm like oh my god this is definitely not for me and you, outside of the mclaren i'm like Whoa, oh my this gosh is, this is this is not me at all when the mclaren showed up i did a double take because McLaren is one of my favorite F1 teams now. And it's like, oh, I know that's a McLaren. Hey, oh. Um, but like you put on Twitter that, you know, there comes a time where you have to just be willing to look at things and say, this isn't for me. I'm not the target audience and it's okay. And I think that's the way I approached it. The the video, the hype video is just like, this isn't for me, whatever. It's, it's not a big deal. It, it's not that deep. It's just the kids having fun and and I'm cool with that and if the recruits like it if they're if 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 they're going for the luxury in LA kind of kind of lifestyle that they're pushing and that attracts recruits to USC by all means push it the the issue I have more than anything is with USC taking it down because if you're going to put it out there and you're going to make a big deal out of this thing you got to own it like and that's and that's one of the things that has annoyed me about USC like if you're going to be the Hollywood school, if you're going to lean into that, you got to own it 100%. You can't then backtrack. You, th- this is where you need to have a touch of that Pete Carroll er- er- arrogance where it's like, we're us and we're going to do us. And if you don't like it, then whatever. And the reasons that USC took it down, I think they weren't good enough for me. Uh, they said that it, it was in this in these times um they uh th- that it, it, it they didn't take the sort of covid-19 stuff uh seriously enough that it was a house party and there were no masks and all that kind of stuff and i get it i had that response too internally when i was watching it but also you know we i watch tv and i watch a, a characters on a tv show and i'm not you know, wagging my finger at them for for not wearing masks when that's not the universe in which these things are taking place. So, like, I viewed the video as almost like a in an alternate reality. So, you know, if anyone's taking their their cues as far as how they're going to respond to COVID based on that video, then I think they need to get their priorities straight. I'm just going to throw out a guess here and say that that wasn't the 
the be all and end all. I I I don't know. I don't feel like you you delete it for that reason. I'm not saying I know anything other than that, but like it, it just. I, I agree with you that that if you're going into the thing and going to hype it up and just gonna sh- kind of strut into Twitter and be like, oh, we got this video, get excited for this video. Yeah. Every, every, this is gonna be the video. Yeah. You can't just like silently strut out and delete the thing and take your ball and go home kind of thing. Yeah. At the same time. Uh, so yeah. I, I agree with you, but I would I would just say that the the COVID stuff is, to me is something you do. Um, yeah, I think it was, yeah, I think the video in a lot of ways could be seen as being tone deaf because of that. Well, for but me, I don't the... know that that was tone deaf enough to have the, the thing deleted. It was maybe tone deaf enough to not post it right now, especially when it's not just COVID. Uh, to me, this is more the, the tone deaf part, if anything, comes in line to this is a time where SC is you know, has a player that's being investigated by the FBI um, for uh, unemployment benefits, unemployment benefits and and all that stuff. And, and like we talked about last week, that story seems so much more detailed than, than any of the details that we know and nothing that we can talk about, you know, in an educated way, but it's out there. Right. Right. But, and, and that's where if I was going to, I like, there was a certain tone deaf tuness, tone deafness to it. As well, given the state of uh, the financial state of uh, athletic departments around the country right now. I mean, right. on Monday, Arizona axed like 15 or, or 20 of their uh, their athletic department positions because they're going to have a forty five million dollar windfall uh, or I don't know if that's the correct use of the phrase, but uh, they're going to be short forty five million dollars because of uh, of the COVID-19 pandemic and and everything that's gone on with that, USC is not going to be immune to any of those financial hits. And so to me, it was watching them, well, somebody hired a helicopter, somebody hired a sports car, somebody hired a, you know, influencers and stuff like that, that seemed completely unnecessary to me. But, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to create this persona of, you know, living large in Los Angeles, I get it. But there was a tone deafness to it. My thing, I keep going back to. I, you just, you just own I, it? I'd rather they just owned it. I'd rather right. they just owned it. And like, I, I'd rather somebody before they release the video th- thought to themselves, this is tone deaf. Like that, that's the, the yes. best case scenario. But once you've been tone deaf. Scrub it before it goes public. Yeah, once it, it goes pu- public, you've you got to You've got to commit to it 1000%. Absolutely. Right. That's that. And that's my perspective. Yeah, because it wasn't inherently problematic, at least as far as everything that we know about it, right? Like, I don't think it was – it wasn't tone deaf to the point where you're like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever. They need to take it down because it's problematic because of X, Y, and Z. Um, in that case, that's a, that's a different story. And then that really raises the questions, how did this get approved? No, it was just – it was a little tone deaf. But if you commit to the bit – you can. I think you could have gotten away with it, and yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm 100. percent You you you. you'd live through the first you know day of you know people with too much time on their hands and, to complain. And, but the, complaining. the critiques weren't even about that though. The, the the critiques that at least I saw on Twitter were were from people who just didn't get the video. Yeah. In the sense of like what we said, the video is not for us. No. Right. The the video is not for us. Um. 
it's not it's not my music it's not my my scene none of it right yeah but that's not the that that's that's the point it's not for us we're not the target audience and that's okay and i think that the people who look at it and think that you know uh sc is selling this over football like no they're not selling this over football this is just one piece of the puzzle that's what recruiting is recruiting is about selling you everything um and you know, I, I've seen, you know, we, we, we hear it from a lot of people that well, there shouldn't be hype videos until they've won games and all this stuff. I'm sorry, but Rutgers makes hype videos yeah. too. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like yeah. like marketing and recruiting defy a lot of what what we look at in terms of, you know, things that are earned because it's about selling things. That's that's what it is. And I think that people need to kind of understand that. And as a fan, you can look at that and say, well, I don't think SC has earned this or whatever. But in the terms of recruiting, there's nothing stopping you from, from making a video like that, uh, especially one that is, you know, forward thinking in terms of the name, image, and likeness. And as far as I'm concerned, if it was okay with the name, image, and likeness stuff, if there were no violations in that sense, they could have afforded to not delete the video as cringy as it may be as uh, corny as the video may seem to us Mm -hmm. again it's not for us yeah yeah and that's that's really what it comes down to for me not not for me and i'm okay with that uh substantively what is important here that usc has launched a creative studio to build brands for players uh that'll help them have an edge in recruiting, which is what we've been asking USC to do this whole time. Put some real effort and resources into building your recruiting apparatus. This is part of that. The video is just a side thing that doesn't really matter. Yeah, and, you know, we're definitely into side things that do matter, like our Patreon selection over at patreon.com slash Reign of Troy Radio. We can get all of our bonus content, including our 10-part series, Delving into USC unit by unit, previewing the Trojans going into the season. And then once the season starts, there will be even more content. Alicia, tell us what you got planned over on Patreon. Yeah, so once the season starts, obviously you'll get uh, ad-free car casts, but also on on Sundays after games, uh, or Saturdays as it were, uh, we'll have uh, you know my rewatch. The rewatch series uh, is coming back this year where... Um, you know, every weekend after USC plays, I go through and rewatch the game and get a little bit more detailed in my analysis and figuring out who did what well and who did what poorly and uh, record a podcast all about that kind of stuff, getting just a little bit deeper dive. And you can get that before our review episode comes up later on in the week and just a way to get deeper down into what USC did on the weekend. Yep, patreon.com slash of Trojans. We can get all of the bonus content for as little as five fifty five per month. You also get uh, ad-free main shows as well for five fifty five For 10 bucks. you get to join our Slack channel. Talk with us during the game, during the week, whenever, in our Slack channel with our other pals from the Rot Crew, a growing community of diehard USC fans talking about the Trojans and so much more, uh, as much as you like, whenever you'd like it. Uh, that's for 10 bucks. You get to join that as well. Uh, but Alicia, this is the season predictions episode. It's the episode we have looked forward to. The entire country is looking forward to this date because it's when we drop this episode. So let's get to it. 
All right, USC begins the season Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Pacific time on Big Fox against the Arizona State Sun Devils, a huge matchup in the Pac-12 South. The the two teams that are predicted to finish atop the Pac-12 South, USC and Arizona State, two of the three teams expected to be contenders in the division, along with Utah, who the Trojans face in Week 3. Alicia, this is a big, big early test for USC. Arguably their toughest game on the schedule, which is only six games, um, along with that Utah game in Week 3. Um, I, I don't know that I want to get overly deep into the weeds in this one because we're going to talk about so much of it in the, the game preview coming up on Thursday. But this is an Arizona State team that was 8-5 and five last year. They are ranked 38th in S&P Plus right now. They return a bunch on defense, not so much on offense. And again, Jaden Daniels back at quarterback, someone USC didn't play last year. And and he's really the, the X factor there. A lot of the hopes that Arizona State has is they, they hinge on Jaden Daniels being great. And the jury's a bit still out. I mean, we talked during the offseason about how he was ranked exceedingly low in in some quarterback rankings over the over the offseason over the summer and we couldn't quite make sense of that but really that's something that applies to ASU across the board they're just on paper the metrics the advanced statistics they don't really like ASU so the big question for the Sun Devils is can they exceed those expectations can they prove the formulas and the computers and the numbers all wrong and that's going to be something that's obviously USC is going to have to make sure doesn't come to pass in, in this first in this first game. The big other big question for ASU is, you know, they've got new coordinators, defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators. They've got a new defensive system. How well were they able to navigate the offseason? Uh, it will, will play a, a huge factor as well when Saturday comes around. So there's a lot of unknowns going on with ASU, and that's what makes them a very, very intriguing, uh, potentially dangerous opponent for USC in week one. Yeah, this is a lot of unknowns, particularly on offense, when last year ASU's offense wasn't wasn't great. I thought they struggled in a lot of areas. This wasn't a team that was averaging 50 points a game. Uh, but Jaden Daniels did a very good job and never looked like a true freshman. A 17-2 touchdown to interceptions ratio, that's what you dream of for any quarterback for, for a ratio. I... I I think you'd want more than 17 touchdowns, but that's, Two interceptions that's is... the kind of ratio that you absolutely yeah. sign up for. That's what two is doing over when at Alabama before he moved on to the NFL, right? So that's something that you dream of as, as an offensive coordinator. A new offensive coordinator, Zach Hill, moves over from Boise State and finds himself with an offense that has Jaden Daniels back for his sophomore season. And that's about it. Uh, you know, Benjamin, gone. Uh, Brandon Ayuk, gone to the NFL. Four starting offensive linemen, gone, including Cole Cabral, who had plenty of honors. Uh, Kyle Williams, a receiver, I feel like it was at ASU for decades. Gone, right? Like, this is an offense that needs to replace a ton of talent. They're 98th nationally in returning talent on offense. A lot of moving parts there, and then you compare it to the defense, and this defense is riddled with talent. Uh, a lot of returners, we see uh, Merlin Robertson's back, Darian Butler, Clay Helton kind of credited those guys as two of the best linebackers in the entire conference, 
And I don't think that's hyperbole. Those guys are fantastic. Narbonne's own. Uh, Darian Butler, by the way. <laughs> uh, Merlin Robertson out of Sarah High. Um, and you look at the DBs. Uh, you got Jack Jones and Ashari Crosswell, both from Long Beach Poly. These are guys that SC recruited. These are guys that have plenty of talent, guys that SC knows. SoCal ties, especially when you look at new co-defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce, put together with the new, his, his new uh, tandem defensive coordinator, Marvin Lewis. Familiar names there, right? D- does, he, does that sound familiar? Do you remember Marvin Lewis? I mean, Marvin Lewis of, of Bengals head coaching of Bengals fame. Bengals fame, the guy who never got fired despite them doing the same thing year after year after year. Yes. Yes. Marvin Lewis, yeah, he's back. Uh, and he is ASU's defensive coordinator. They move over from a 3-3-5 defense to a 4-3. And I find it interesting because on offense, you look at this ASU team, they lose so much talent, but they they move to this, this exciting scheme uh, from Zach Hill of, of Boise State, and they're probably going to be up-tempo and, you know, do things and, and be a forward-thinking spread offense that you see in college football. That's what we know Boise State as. That's what we know and should expect from Zach Hill. And on defense, I I, I mean, you know, when, when Herm Edwards got hired, one of the, the things that, that the biggest critiques was that he was out of touch with the game especially with college because college is sort of ahead of the NFL by a year or two always, if not more than that schematically. And he didn't quite, you know, fall into that trap because he he made good hires and Antonio Pierce was a fantastic hire on defense, especially because of his recruiting ties. But yet here we go. Marvin Lewis slots in an NFL guy bringing in a four, three. And I don't know how this is going to work. We've seen what LSU has done by going to the 4-3 this year with well, Bo Pelini. Well, we saw what USC did last good. year going to more of a 4-3. More four of a 4-3. Three. Three. Didn't work. It was yeah. the worst USC defense in S&P Plus in, in almost two decades. So, like, this is not a not a wise decision in, in my opinion, but they have so much talent there on defense and, and guys that I think you look at and would feel comfortable putting out there. So I, I don't want to talk too much about this matchup because we're going to talk about more of it on Thursday, like I said, but ASU, USC, two talented teams, um, and ASU is going to be kind of an intriguing team in which we don't know quite what we'll see just because of transitions going on on both sides of the ball with the coordinators. On the plus side, USC getting them early could be a help because they are figuring out their OC, they are figuring out their DC, those players are... Counterpoint. We're in a new scheme early. I'm jumping in here. I know people say that I cut you off and I'm rude (laughs) all the time. I'm going to just jump in here and say counterpoint. Uh, Arizona has been a little bit more uh, relaxed on a lot of COVID restrictions. ASU has had way more practice time than USC has. So, yes, SC is breaking in Todd Orlando as a new defensive coordinator. That's only one side of the ball. ASU is doing it on both sides of the ball and have had time to practice a little bit more. Maybe that balance things, balances things out, or maybe ASU is going to be more prepared. And I think it's worth noting, whenever we've talked about ASU over the last two years, the prevailing thing is that they are prepared. We, we, yes. we can sit here and say that their, their you know, scheme hasn't been the most forward-thinking. Their, um, 
that they haven't been the greatest team in, on, on the planet. They're not outperforming what Todd Graham did, but they've been very prepared and played sound, mistake-free football in a lot of ways. If that's what's going to win games for ASU, that's what wins games for ASU. And that is going to be big in a week one type of game, especially when they've had more preparation. My counterpoint to that is that they've had more preparation, but a lot of the relaxed uh, restrictions for ASU's practicing was still more of the conditioning type of practicing. Walkthroughs. Uh, yeah. walk like, I don't know that they got full-blown you know, extra weeks of practice, and they have a bigger task on their hands with all of the installation that they're doing uh, than USC has had. And um, they might be fitter at this stage, but I don't know that they're going to be that that much further ahead in terms of the preparation with all of the new things that are going on, all of the new players. All right. First prediction of the season, week one, SC, ASU, who wins? I got USC, but I'd take the under- on uh, on an eleven point spread that <laughs> just came out earlier uh, in the week, I'm gonna say SC wins this, and I think SC covers. Uh, that's where I stand now. Uh, you'll hear more of my opinion on this topic later in the week. But uh, both of us have SC moving on after week one with a one and O record going into week two over in Tucson. Uh, a little bummed we don't get to go to Tucson. We were. We are not a little inside baseball. We're not going to be doing road trips outside of the UCLA game. So we will not be going to Arizona. We will not be going to Utah. Uh, and probably not the Pac-12 championship game unless it's at the Coliseum. So we will not be in Tucson to have Sopapillas, chimichangas. Mm. I'm not going to be doing it this year. Sadness. Which is sad. But uh, let's talk about the Wildcats. 4-8 and eight last year. They were 100th in S&P Plus last year. They currently rank 101st in S&P Plus, but they return a lot of talent, 73% overall, uh, 24th in terms of returning talent, uh, turning production, sorry, on defense. Uh, key losses, you might know, uh, Khalil Tate. He was someone who was around forever, it felt like, too. Uh, he is no longer the quarterback in Arizona. The Reigns have transferred over to Grant Gannell, uh, who comes in with a lot of hype, and I'm really interested to see what he can do in this Noel Mazzoni offense. Um, I think we're going to find out pretty early on with SC and Arizona meeting in Week 2. J.J. Uh, Taylor's gone, Cedric Peterson gone, uh, Jace Whitaker's gone, Colin Schooler transferred to Texas Tech. Uh, but like I said, Grant Gannell's back along with Gary Brightwell and Anthony Pandy, a linebacker on on. Uh, defense also of Arbon. Yeah, so Arizona. Um, I mean, the, aside from Grant Gannell looking like a pretty good prospect at quarterback, I just don't think there's anything about Arizona that makes them look like a team that is going to get demonstratively better this year. Uh, they've got a new DC in Paul Rhodes. Maybe he's able to get a little bit something more out of that that defense, but. You can't imagine he's going to turn them around to the degree that they'll need to on defense in in one year, especially a year like this, that they just don't look like a threat at all. Uh, Maybe they'll be able to put up some points. This will be a a nice test back-to-back for USC with Todd Orlando 
to get a real good sense of, of what he's bringing to the table for USC's defense and how they're going to be able to face two pretty bright quarterbacks uh, in, in these two weeks. But when it comes down to it, if USC isn't able to outpace Arizona significantly with their offensive firepower, then you know the, the, then that's a huge, huge, huge failure. Uh, just it just I, I don't I don't have much uh, hope for the Wildcats this year. Totally. I mean, last year we, we talked about Arizona's defense was not good. Uh, they just were not good last year. And SC, what did they do? The first five drives of the game uh, were all three and outs and punts. They did turn it around. They put up 41 points. SC got the explosion in the second half, including the coming out party of Keenan Kristen after the running backs went down. But you expected more out of USC's offense. Now, here we go into this game. And I think it's going to be interesting because Arizona's breaking in a new defensive coordinator, Paul Rhodes. You might remember him. He was formerly the Iowa State head coach. This is going to be fascinating because that's the type of experience you want uh, on your staff if you're Kevin Sumlin, especially for Kevin Sumlin, who I think this is a massive year for him. This is almost like improve or else um, if you're Kevin Sumlin, if you still want to be the head coach with the Wildcats. But I don't know. I, I, I look at this game and I think there's no reason in, in which SC should stumble here. They should roll through this. This is one of two games on the schedule in which I think SC absolutely should win in a route. But there's one exception. Alicia, is there a trap game on USC's schedule, do you think? Um, uh, I mean, if you, if you want to call UCLA, potentially. Mm, I think if the, if there is a trap game, it's this one. It's after ASU, which we know is going to be a tough week one matchup. It's before Utah, which is going to be the toughest road matchup. It's that, that what the solid verbal would call the, the let down look ahead sandwich. That I think is a little worrisome. If you're looking for USC to no show a game, this is it. We've seen SC do that in Tucson before. We saw it two years ago. That's certainly possible. But again, there's no football reason for that to happen. This should looks like a game which SC should win big. Yeah, and and that's really it. If USC gets caught off guard. Traveling to Arizona, would it be the biggest surprise that I've ever seen? No. Grant Cannell is is a good enough quarterback to give USC some problems, but like I said before, this one's on USC. If USC loses this game, it's because USC screwed up. I do think there's there's something to the idea that maybe USC starts slow because they are on the road, uh, and it's closer than it should be in the first half, but I'd expect to see USC pull away at a certain point. Yeah, I think this is a game SC wins. Uh, I think if anything, it's a little shootouty, uh, especially with Grant Cannell and USC kind of learning how to transition to the three-three-five defense. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a shootout and entertaining game because of that, but it should be a game that SC has in hand. So if that's a shootout, you need to win this game forty-something, twenty-something. You know what I mean? Um, like yeah. you, you need to still have control of it. Um, and it it shouldn't be a Big Twelve baddie looking type of game, uh, for SC if this is the SC team that you put stock into as a Pac twelve and national contender. So we both have SC winning in Tucson. Oh yes, 
All right, moving on. Week three, the biggie. USC at Utah. The Trojans have not won in Salt Lake City since 2012. Long time. Long time. Of, of all the years. For, yeah, for no the kidding. USC to have won. No kidding. A game in which they, they trailed 14 nothing and like three minutes into it, too. Yeah. And they still won that game. Uh, the, the Trojans go into place, uh, play the Utes, who were 11 and 3 last year. They finished 12th in SP Plus. 26 is where they sit now. But. Alicia, there's no team in college football that lost more talent, more production than the Utah Utes. Um, I, I have a list here. Utah lost seven NFL draftees, but more importantly, eight, eight first-team All Pac-12 players. That's a lot. Hey, how do you have eight first-team All-Pac-12 players? Usually that's a USC thing. And, and, and B, how do you have eight first-team All-Pac-12 players and they all be seniors? And, and, and juniors who went early to the NFL like Jalen Johnson. But that's the situation that Utah had last year. These are the guys who are not coming back. You're going to remember all of these names. Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, Bradley Anai, Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman. Uh, Terrell Burgess, Lecky Fotu, John Penasini, all those guys are familiar to you? Yes, probably. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they're all gone. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is why Utah is getting voted to finish third in the, in the Pac-12 South. This is why Utah has been pretty much written off in the Pac-12 South. And it might be a little bit unfair to Kyle Whittingham because he has built a program that has achieved success in the South. Uh, rather consistently, but last year really was their big year because they had all those guys, and this is going to be a hell of a receive uh, of a of a recovery year of a rebuilding year for Utah. So if if okay if Kyle Whittingham is able to win the Pac-12 South in 2020, then someone needs to snatch him up and hire him for a better job than Utah because the job that it'll take to reload this team in order to to win the Pac-12 South it would be pretty impressive like there you can't overstate the immensity of those losses yeah and, and to their credit there's still some talent here Jordan Wilmore former USC running back commit at Lawndale he's going to be their starting running back he looked good last year when Zach Moss got, got nicked up a little bit um and tight end Brad Keithy was really good towards the end of the season. He's back. He's someone I know, Alicia, you wish that uh, that SC kind of had, even though SC has tight ends and a million playmakers anyways. No, I, um, part of me wishes that USC would use their tight ends the way that um, Red Keithy gets used by Utah. For sure. I'm sure there's a big part of you that thinks that. Yeah. But th- this is, this is um, you know, a, a situation in which Utah is going to be well coached. We know this, but we also know that Utah is a team that, outside of Rice-Eccles, is a completely different beast. But SC gets them in Rice-Eccles in a year uh, of COVID in which there will be no muss. The mighty Utah students section is not going to be there. Um, Does that affect this game? Perhaps. Does the altitude affect this game? Perhaps. Does the weather affect this game? Perhaps. It is early. Weather.com is, you know, 
At this point, I would not put much stock in what weather.com is saying 15 days out, especially in a volatile place uh, like the, the Wasatch Mountain Ranges. But I just want to tell you, when I was writing this rundown, I, I went over to weather.com. It said 30% chance of snow showers. Well, that's fun. I'm just saying. That just saying. That should make for an interesting, yes. <laughs> interesting uh, outing. Yeah, SC beat Utah last year with Matt Fink. Uh, Utah extremely, extremely, with defensive coordinator uh, Morgan Scally, um, extremely stubborn to go away from their man coverages. And Matt Fink just beat them over the top with a lot of YOLO ball. Uh, YOLO raid, as you called it. Um, I don't think they're they're going to allow necessarily that this year. I think they will have learned from that. And I think Utah might be tougher than their roster says they will be. But if there's a chance for USC to beat Utah and end the streak, this is it. At the same time, it's at Rice Eccles. SC doesn't play well there. They've lost three in a row there. They haven't won on a Saturday. Uh, this is a, st- a stat that Shotgun Spratling pulled up. Haven't won on a Saturday there in over a hundred years. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a pretty awesome stat that maybe is a uh, uh, grounded a little bit, knowing that USC and Utah haven't played regularly. Don't put, uh, don't put the truth in, in the years, middle but... of a good of a good fact. <laughs> but on. still, but still, I mean, and that's the thing, right? When we're talking about USC Utah, it's just the Rice Eccles factor is such a huge thing, and. I don't know that there's proof yet that USC has gotten over their road woes under Clay Helton. I don't think there's proof yet that USC has figured out how to go to a mountainous state like Utah and deal with altitude. Uh, it's it's just one of those things that, that on paper you can put the teams down and I can say for certain that I think USC has a clear edge, a clear advantage. It's all of the peripheral things that make me think if USC is going to lose a game this season, then this is the one they're going to lose. Yeah, you say that that you don't know that SC will have gone to a state, a mountainous state, and use their advantage. And then I think about it, like, well, they beat Colorado every year. But, 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 no, 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 you're right. I agree. (laughs) Look, since the Pac-12 expanded in uh, 2011, this is going to be the 10th trip USC has to a mountain state in terms of Utah and Colorado. So there's been nine. Of those nine trips, uh, they've won, what, um, five at Colorado, and they've won one against Utah. So they've gone six and three. But those five of those five wins at Colorado, all but one of them were struggles. There's only one blowout, and that was the first time in 2011, uh, that Friday night with Matt yeah. Barkley padding his stats. That was the only time it was a blowout. And there. those were true. All of them against Colorado have been struggle fests. Well, uh, th- those th- those early Colorado teams too weren't necessarily they weren't good. as well prepared to no. enter the Pac-12 as Utah was. So, like that, th- th- I mean, even that's a little bit shaky. And obviously, last year USC was dealing with some injury things, sure, but that game was a lot closer than it should have. They also went to BYU and lost. So, you know, it's just. It makes me nervous. It makes me nervous that USC has to get on a plane and travel to somewhere at altitude. That's cold. Too. That's cold. Yes. And that might be snowing, and that's the worst possible outcome for USC's air raid, uh, that, 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 that they're going to go there and potentially have inclement weather to deal with. So 
those are the those are the things that give me pause. And I don't I wouldn't say that a loss here is justified. I just think that if you're writing down all the pros and cons for how why USC will lose, right. those things that have nothing to do with the 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 you know the team on the field those things are the things that I I think could override everything. Wait, are, are you saying that there's no football reason for there, USC to lose? There is no football reason for USC to lose to to this Utah team. I think that's fair to say. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of non non football reasons yes. for USC to lose this game. No, I I agree. I think I think if you look at it, if this game is played in a dome, I uh, just. Purely in a vacuum. If it's at the Coliseum, I am one thousand percent saying this is this is a USC win. Yes, I agree. But when you factor in, um, it's it's week three, it's in the snow, it's in the state of Utah, a state that potentially, you know, is dealing with major lockdowns right now. Uh, there's a chance this game gets moved, neutral site or something like that. Well, that would be that, fun. That would be chaotic. Like. All these little factors, um, if it snows or if it's super cold, how does that affect the air raid? All those things give me pause. The streak, the mojo at Rice-Eccles. Alicia, I I think it continues. SC loses. Oh, you're going with a loss there. I'm going with a loss. I am still going to go with a win because I am a sucker. I I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. I, I just... (laughs) <laughs> I, I know I'm being crazy. I just think there's a lot that Utah is having to replace. And I have a ton of respect for Kyle Whittingham and the job that he's done. But I think it's, it's th- th- this team, I don't think they have the firepower. I really don't think they have the firepower. I I agree. And I think that there's a year in which SC wins at Rice Cycles. This is it. I, I think they I, I think, still worry about the cold and all of the little weird things. I, I think USC will win a stupid, ugly game. All right. All right. I, it, it could happen. I think it's going to be a close one for sure. Uh, one of the hardest fought of the season. Um, We're going to take a quick break, come back, and get to the rest of the USC schedule for doing some over-unders and wrapping this thing up. Next up on USC schedule, week four against Colorado, November 28th. It is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Alicia, this means that SC's Saturday after Thanksgiving for two years in a row will not be UCLA or Notre Dame. It's going to be Colorado this year, BYU next year, Notre Dame the year after that, and then BYU again in 2023. As someone who covers USC for a living, I have to admit that I do prefer the Thanksgiving week game to not be one of extreme importance like the Notre Dame and UCLA games because then Thanksgiving can happen, Black Friday can happen and all that and like the lead up to those games isn't weird because of the 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 holidays that are going on there. So hey, there's been a couple off days well, the last couple of years too. Yeah, I'll I'll take I'll take it. I'll I'll take Colorado here instead of Notre Dame and, and UCLA. Yeah, and it's a Colorado team that comes in off of a five and seven season under Mel Tucker, but this isn't Mel Tucker's team anymore. Mel Tucker moves over to the Big Ten. Now the head coach over at Michigan State, where he took down Michigan this past week. Hell of a start for the Fighting Tuckers over in East Lansing. But, Alicia, 
Colorado is replacing Mel Tucker with Carl Durrell. Say it again. Carl Durrell. The, all of the coaches that are out there in the universe and Colorado landed on Carl Durrell. Yeah, and like, okay, I get it. I don't think Carl Durrell was as, uh, was as bad as people probably make him out to be. I think if you look at the number of wins like that, it actually compares weirdly well to the, the Jim Mora era and certainly better than than Chip Kelly or, or Rick Neuheisel over at UCLA. But how do you get Carl Durrell? How do you not go and get Eric Bieniemy and throw every dollar you have at Eric Bieniemy? Heck, I would have just promoted Darren Cheverini to the head coach. Like, um, yeah. I... I, I I don't, I don't get this move at all, but yet here we are, the Buffs, um, bringing in Carl Durrell, who weirdly is able to keep a lot of the staff and then bring new guys into it and add on. Darren Cheverini has been at CU since 2016 when they really turned around everything, particularly on offense. He's back, and he's their offensive coordinator. Tyson Summers enters his second season. He got hired by Mel Tucker last year as the defensive coordinator. And this is a team, we talked about it last year. Colorado, if, if you, if college football had a three-on-three game, like, like if Colorado played NBA Jam, but it was college football, <laughs> okay. they would have one of the best teams in the conference last uh, th- year. They would have been pretty formidable with uh, Montez and Chenault. Montez, and- Chenault, Landman, Mustafa Johnson, Alex Fontenot, Katie Nixon. Like, they have high-powered guys at key spots. But beyond that, we said that there was nothing on this roster, right? And I'm, I'm writing this rundown, and I was expecting to put that all those guys were losses. I don't know why. The offseason has been so long, I forgot. Most of those guys are coming back. Steven Montez is gone. LaVisca Chenault now plays for uh, the, the, the fight in Jacksonville Jaguars. But Yeah, those are some big losses. <laughs> yes, those are two big losses. But Nate Landman, a Phil Steele All-American honorable mention last year, is back. Mustafa Johnson, first team All-Pac-12 in 2018, is back. Alex Fontenot is back. Katie Nixon, someone who's highly productive for the Buffs last year. Had a few touchdowns against SC and Boulder last year. He's back. LaVisca Chenault's brother, Levante Chenault, he's on this roster. Um, But they're going to break in a new quarterback, Sam Neuer, who has 41 career pass attempts. Uh, That's going to be an interesting development for the Buffs there. Um, But let's be honest here. This is a team that, despite bringing back a lot of guys, particularly on defense, uh, like Landman and Johnson, that I think that really could anchor this defense. They were still 120th nationally in returning production on offense. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago and 81st in S&P+. Plus. They can't possibly be better than that this year. I can't see it in year one under Carl Durrell. I think this is a rebuild that needs multiple, multiple years, uh, and they currently rank 93rd in S&P+. Plus. This is going to be one of those games in which surely SCA can steep through, right? I mean, you, you'd think, right? You'd think. Uh, this is almost one of those games where I am so certain that USC will blow out Colorado that that can't possibly be the case, and it, it'll be a, a close game because that's the 
weirdest thing that could possibly happen. I I don't know. I, I guess we're going to find out how much of Colorado's growth over the last couple of years was Mel Tucker and how much of it was was the, uh, you know, the 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 D.C. and the in the O.C. and those guys coming together and, and coaching the players up reasonably well. But even the talent that they did have, it's not like it netted them a whole bunch. I mean, they did challenge USC to a point, but that always felt like it had more to do with USC than Colorado necessarily. So, uh, you know, there's, there's less to like about this Colorado team than there was to like about last year's Colorado team. So I, I, I can't look at them and say, this is a team that scares me. Yeah. There's just, there's, there's certainly no football reason that Colorado uh, should be USC this year. I think the argument for why this could be a weird game is it's a week after Utah. It's the week of Thanksgiving. If you want to add any weird non-football voodoo there, I think those are the reasons. But again, a well-coached team should not lose because of those things. Uh, and SC is as more firepower. SC was really able to move the ball. Um, a lot on Colorado last year. Keaton Slovis had a couple of you know silly mistakes, but he was able to in the fourth quarter when he needed to get it done, got it done. I, I guess the one non-football but also football reason that I would point to some worry about this game would be that Week Four is always around the time when USC's injury issues start to get really serious. So after three tough weeks. Of, of play especially at, at utah oh yeah coming back from utah body blow theory body blow theory a little bit there uh if if this turned out to be the week that the injury floor fell off of usc and everyone just takes a tumble it wouldn't be all that surprising to me so maybe that's a great equalizer there but you know welcoming colorado to the coliseum usc tends to play better at the coliseum they would need to really fall flat on their face there uh, for this to be a factor. Weather won't really be a factor unless, you know, potentially some rain, but certainly won't be like snow and sleet like you could potentially get in Colorado. So it's, yeah, I, I'd take USC here pretty handily. Yeah, SC has never lost to Colorado, and I don't think they will start to do so in 2020. Let's go to week five and through four games, you have USC still at four and oh, I have USC at three and one. Uh, week five, USC against Washington State on a Friday night. What could go wrong? Uh, it's December 4th. Um, this is a Washington State team coming to the Coliseum where they came in on a Friday a couple years ago. SC won in dramatic fashion in the fourth quarter. The, the Cougs are six and seven last year, they were 28th in SP Plus. Which Way better than that record says they were. Uh, but Mike Leach is gone. He's off to Mississippi State. Nick Rolovich pops in, a proponent of the run and shoot, uh, part of that old June Jones offense and, and everything that that was put together over on uh, on Oahu. And he was 28-27 at Hawaii, 10-5 last year. Really performed well uh, in, in the Mountain West. And this is an interesting, interesting team, I think, that for Washington State. I think that I'm really interested to see what comes of Rolovich at this level. I think there's intriguing parts of, of him as a coach offensively. 
But we're going to have to see it. Uh, so far, all we know of Nick Frolovich at Washington State is a controversy um, uh, with, with his players and, and the whole COVID opt-out thing. Uh, then he weirdly tried to dunk on that Washington fan a couple years, uh, a couple weeks ago. Like, I don't know. If you're Nick Rolovich, you got to get on the field and, and start producing. I think year one will give him plenty uh, of slack, especially uh, in a COVID-affected season when they lose a lot of production. They only return 39, uh, sorry, 36% of production on offense. That's 121st in the country. Gone is Anthony Gordon. Gone are three of their big wide receivers, uh, Arcanado, Winston, and Patman. The versatile playmaker Max Borgie is back. He was third in yards from scrimmage last year as a true freshman in the Pac-12. Uh, Abe Lucas is back on the offensive line, and Jihad Woods is back for his like 93rd season up in Pullman. Um, but what, what do you make of Washington State? They do have to break in the new quarterback, Jaden Deloria, who is a true freshman. But what, what, what say you? I am very skeptical of Washington State not, uh, sort of even being able to stay stable from where they were under Mike Leach. Uh, no offense to Nick Rolovich, but uh, I don't know that he was, I don't know that he accomplished anything at Hawaii that makes me think that he's going to step into into Washington State and be able to roll through the North Division in any real way. I don't think Washington State will be a contender just given the fact that they, they are replacing their entire, and I mean entire, passing offense from last year. And they haven't had a good defense over the last couple of years. So it it just, I don't know. I don't see anything from, from Washington State that, that like Colorado, I, I don't see how they don't take a step back given the 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 weird off season the worst time to be bringing in a new coach who is his first time coaching in the Pac-12 given the the unrest that they had on that roster over over the off season he hasn't had time to install his run and shoot offense and you know it's it's going to take quite a bit for them to to challenge anybody the 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 scariest part of this is just it's a Friday night but it's at the Coliseum so she loves Friday nights at the Coliseum. I mean, yeah, Friday nights at the Coliseum. So long as they're not Friday nights in in Salt Lake City, they're they're feeling pretty fine. Yeah, if you're gonna play a Friday night game, maybe it's for the best that it's not Black Friday. It's it's for the best that it's December fourth, so you'll be light and being ten pounds eight ounces on <laughs> December fourth, rather than all the the food that you're putting together down on Thanksgiving. But yeah, SC should win this game. I, I think we we all agree on that. Um, SC goes to four and one on my predictions. What say you, Alicia? Do you have them at five and zero? Yeah, I've got them at five and zero. Unless, like I said, unless the injury bug has really hit, unless Keaton Slovis is out and half the offensive line is out, and things just have completely collapsed on the season, there are no football reasons that USC should lose this game. And that leads us to December twelfth at UCLA, at the Rose Bowl, week six, the final regular season game for USC. There is a seventh game. We just don't know what the format of the situation is going to be, who it's going to be, whether it's going to be a Pac-12 championship game or just another crossover game uh, against a Pac-12 North opponent. So we're leaving that out of the preview, which leaves this one, week six, as the last game to discuss. The Bruins also 4-8, and eight, another 4-8 and eight team in the Pac-12. 
last year. They ranked 79th in S&P Plus last year. 63rd is where they sit now. Uh, They do bring a lot back, particularly on offense. 75% of the production is back, but they lose a ton on defense. Chris Barnes, Darnay Holmes, two key players for the Bruins that are not back on that side of the ball. Um, DTR is back for for year three. Uh, Demetric Felton, a player who I think is really fun to watch. I think he's a great playmaker with the ball in his hands. Whether you have him split out wide or you have him in the backfield, Kyle Phillips led the team in receiving. I like some of their pieces on offense, but this is a Chip Kelly team that has been as consistent as anything that's not consistent. <laughs> consistent. They've been as consistent as Ferrari's qualifying pace with with uh, Charles Leclerc this year. There you go. I get that reference. I don't know if all of our listeners get that reference, but... If you know, you know. The, the, the point is that this is a team that should be much better than they are. Um, here we go into year three of Chip Kelly. This was what we thought would be going into year three with year three with DTR. A, a progression that would have UCLA on the verge of Pac-12 contention, national contention, right? Like, that's what we all expect when UCLA hired Chip Kelly. And yet they've been four and eight last year. And I don't know if they're going to be any better this year. And they could be, but who the hell knows? Because this team remains this weird enigma that I, if I was a UCLA fan, I don't know how I would get through it. Like it's, they're so unpredictable. They're so baffling. I I do not understand this football team. Well, and and Chip Kelly's got a problem here too, because the talent that Jim Mora recruited to UCLA, it's all gone. And these are all Chip Kelly's players now, more or less. And the team does not look stronger now than it did when when Jim Mora was there. So uh, I don't like I'm at the point where I gave Chip Kelly quite a bit of credit in the first couple of years thinking he just needed some time. It was going to click at some point. It was going to click at some point. It was going to click at some point. And it just hasn't clicked. And And I don't know where there's any evidence that it's going to click now. I mean, th- that's the thing is it, it obviously could. That's that's why it's so hard to nail down what UCLA is or isn't. They've been terribly inconsistent, but they've also been consistently not great. If, if You know, if that makes sense. Their wins last year were against Washington State, Stanford, Arizona State, and Colorado. Well, first of all, you, you buried the lead. A Washington State game in which they trailed 49-17. to 17. Yeah, the wildest game of the year uh, last year. Absolutely. A wild, wild game. But like... They, they gave up 63 points in one. Yeah. But but also, where I mean, where is the impressive win there? I, I, beating ASU is somewhat impressive, but it's not like that ASU team was a was a juggernaut. They got blown out by Utah. They got blown out by USC. They got beaten handily by Cal. Uh, you could you could understand that the the front half of their schedule was extremely difficult with their out of conference games, but like in conference, they haven't been impressive either. So where is that switch going to flip with Chip Kelly? I I think at this stage, I wouldn't bet on it flipping this this year. I just I I I don't see what this team will suddenly transform into when they've lost guys like Josh Kelly. They've lost guys like Darnay Holmes. Like, 
I look down that roster and I and I don't feel like they're getting better. Yeah, I mean, also Odigizuwa, I think, is going to be an interesting player at the defensive end, but this is the defense led by Jerry Azanaro, who should not be in that job. Like, how did he come back for year three? How did how did Chip Kelly, better yet, how did Chip Kelly tell Dan Guerrero, A, you're not going to fire me, and B, I'm not firing Jerry Azanaro? I mean... I, I don't get it. I, I don't get like. I understand year one, things don't go well. Okay, but after year two, you got to make major changes. And as an arrow was number one of who you needed to get rid of, he brings him back. I, I, I look at this game, SC and UCLA on December 12th. I don't see how it's anything but a repeat of last year's game. A, a game in which SC threw for a billion yards, um, scored 52 points, um, won the game handily. Um, but yet UCLA still had their moments because this is an offense that has playmakers like Felton and Phillips and DTR. And I think that's what it's going to be a repeat of. Uh, it'll be a little shootouty, but there's no way that UCLA can stop SC more than SC can stop UCLA. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is UCLA's defense has just been been bad in the two years under uh, under Chip Kelly under uh to, as an arrow they they gave up 34 points per game last year they gave up 30 what is it 34.8 points per game last year uh like a lot of other things like a lot of other teams on USC schedule from from Arizona to uh Washington state to to even Colorado you look at them and you just think okay even if even if your offenses are okay even if you give USC's new defense some fits. Who is going to stop Keaton Slovis? Who who on this defense is going to stop them. Keaton Slovis? I, I don't think it's UCLA, no. No. The, the only teams that I think that could potentially do it are ASU and Utah. Yes. ASU because they have the personnel. Utah because... We've seen what that defense because, can do. We've seen what that defense can do, even though they were stubborn last year, and you have to think that they're going to, to fix those mistakes from last year. Well, also, you play last year's game a few times in a row, and, you know, Matt Fink isn't going to complete some of those passes. Michael Pittman isn't going to make some of those catches, you know? So even that game was just such a weird, weird game, and it wasn't at Rice-Eccles. So, you know, I just you can't can't extend that same respect to UCLA's defense at this point. So while I might tip my cap to Dorian Thompson-Robinson and his, his, his ability to make plays here and there there's there's just not enough there no not enough there at all for me uh sc wins and goes five and one to finish the regular season and wins the pac-12 south that's what i got alicia what do you got i got six and oh i i I actually think this is a case of optimistic alicia rose bowl baby i I don't like it i don't like i genuinely don't like Picking USC to win every game in a season. I really don't. Because the likelihood of that happening, even if on paper USC is better than everyone they face, the likelihood of them actually making it through a season without screwing up you know, in a in a you know big enough way that they that they can avoid the stupid loss that it, that tends to always be in there for everyone, especially in this COVID season where you look around the country and teams all over the all over the place are making really dumb mistakes and being sloppy and 
losing games left and right that they shouldn't be, you know, I have to believe that USC will probably fall victim to that too. And yet, yeah. I can't pick a game that they will lose. So here I am, 6-0. and Yeah, you know, I have SC at 5-1, and one, and I tend to think that there'll be something that it won't be as easy as this team is way better than that team on paper and they will just waltz through them because again like you said not only is usc prone to struggling and playing down to opponents sc has done that for years not just under clay helton by the way that that's been a thing that i mean Pete carroll teams uh did that right this is a situation. The, the Pac-12 road opener every year. Yeah. Didn't matter who they were playing every year. Yeah, the 2004 team almost lost at Stanford, right? Like th- this is a, this is a USC thing. You add that on top to again this being the COVID season, in which those little things are happening to every single team. Clemson, we've seen it uh, against Syracuse last last week. Um, Oklahoma stumbling into multiple times and having to pull wins uh, out of their backside against Texas, right? In, in overtime. Uh, we saw Michigan lose to Michigan State. We've seen uh, Penn State, a, a team that... A Michigan almost, State team that lost to Rutgers, by the way. Yeah, and Penn State circled this year. They circled 2020 as the year that they were going to put everything together and this was going to be their opportunity. COVID hits. Uh, they, they, they lose Micah Parsons. And now they're 0-2 to start the season. Like Life comes at you fast, man. It, it's insane, right? So this is a year in which anything can happen. Uh, so I have a hard time believing that SC, even if their opportunity is the best it will ever be to go undefeated, it's really hard to go undefeated, especially in the year 2020. But that's going to be our predictions. I have USC at 5-1. Alicia has USC at 6-0 in these six regular season games. But time to get to our season-long over-unders. Let's do it. So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. All right, Alicia, let's get into over-unders. I'm so excited. I look forward to this every single year. And this time, we have a brand new format. This comes from a suggestion from a Rotbot, Jake, uh, who emailed us last season about this. We were already deep into the season and couldn't do it. We are doing it this year, Jake. So the way it will work, just like in old years, we will alternate setting over and unders. However, we will also alternate playing the role of house by doing that. So if Alicia says over or under 10.5 carries for her guy Vivai Malapai, and I pick the under, Alicia is obligated to be the over. She has set the line. I have taken the bet. She only wins the point if I don't win the bet. You see? See how that works? I think it makes sense, yes. Yes. Cool. Uh, This encourages us to set lines that are challenging to each other and challenging to you guys playing at home, uh, while also putting us sort of on opposite sides every single time, so we avoid having a ton of draws. Uh, I, I think that while this game has been fun, it's always kind of sucky when it's, you know, over-under and we agree on four of the the six over-unders. Now we are going to be opposed on all six. 
Uh, it's about kind of challenging that other person um, and putting them on the spot to make a decision, which is going to make it really, 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 really fun. Uh, we have six. Uh, this game, three each, plus we have one uh, from a listener we'll get to at the end. Uh, let's start with your first over-under for the season, Alicia. All right, my first over-under is rushes per game, and that is 31.5 that USC averages this season. Last year, they averaged 30 flat, and uh, the year before, they averaged 32. So sort of in between there, do we think that last year's rush per game numbers were impacted heavily by the lack of running backs once the injuries hit? Or do we think this is around the area where USC is going gonna, is gonna to be putting out their rushes? So I look at this one of two ways. Yes, I think it was absolutely affected um, by how things changed once those running backs got hurt. Uh, Malapai went down in the middle of the year. Uh, Stephen Carr went down in the middle of the year. Um, and we saw um, uh, Marky Stepp went down in the middle of the year, right? SC had to go to Keenan Kristen against Arizona. And at one point they had to go to walk on Quincy Jaunty. So this is an interesting dilemma to have because we don't know what the run pass distribution is going to be this year. They threw the ball so much more in November when those guys were hurt and really became an air raidy team compared to what they were early on in the season. With the running backs healthy, I would assume that they would run the ball more. So I'm going to take the over for that reason, plus, 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 plus. Uh, by, by the way, because if you break it down, SC ran the ball fewer than 30 times in the second half and more than 32 times in the first half. So that's why I'm going to take the over. But I'm taking the over because I think there'll be more plays. I think SC is going to run more plays per game because we saw so many times throughout the season uh, last year in which the offense was slowed down when Keaton Slovis was out injured or when the offense was struggling. We saw them struggle against Arizona. I think the offense is going to be that much better this year that they're going to just run more plays. Running more plays means more times for running plays. I I think... Uh... My big question for USC is, did they get a taste of what that offense can look like if they don't bother with running the ball just for the sake of running it? And we saw Keaton Slovis go off. We saw that offense. choose not to run. I mean, that's the thing is, like, we saw the offense absolutely take off. Now, was that just the second half of the season when the quarterback was really finding his groove? I mean, it's entirely possible, but... I'm very curious to see what uh, what teams throw at USC defensively to to impact those rushing numbers, uh, and and also how willing USC is to go out there and and run the ball, given the the depth concerns they have at wide receiver, given the two back sets that they want to run, all of those kinds of things. There will be reason to run, but at a certain point, this offense does want to be an air raid. Yeah, I think the other reason that I think SC will run the ball a little bit more, they weren't willing to run into five-man boxes last year and six-man boxes. Oh, I am very aware of this. I, I know you are. <laughs> I think they're. Go I, I think they're going to be more willing this year a little bit, especially when you don't have Michael Pittman that you can rely on to make a crazy catch. The other okay, so and and as I'm sitting here, 
part of me wishes I had set this over under a bit higher to make it tougher to take that under. Uh, sorry, to take that over. Because uh, if, 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 if things go to plan and USC is beating teams the way that we've said they should for years now, maybe you get some garbage time fourth quarter rushing stats that uh, that bulge this up. But, yeah. you know. Either, either way, know. I, I'm taking the over on 31 and a half rushes per game for USC, which gives you the under. Uh, let's go to my first over under to throw your way. Over or under 18 and a half passing plays of 30 plus yards this season. 18 and a half. Weird number, right? Well, how did I get there? SD had 30 last season. They averaged 2.3 per game. If you truncate that number to eight games, which means the six regular season games that USC is going to play, the seventh game along with a bowl game if they're able to do so, that would be 18.46 that SC had last year in eight games. Will SC eclipse that mark this year? 18.5 is the over-under for passing plays of 30-plus yards. Uh, SC ranked 11th nationally with that last year. And, and again, that was despite three whole games in which Matt Fink was the quarterback, essentially. So the the... 18.5 passing plays is that's then saying that they're going to continue to average 2.3-ish per game in the games that they play. Assuming they play eight games. Assuming they play eight games. Yes. We know they're going to play seven. Well, <laughs> knock on wood, cross is, your fingers. This is this is part of the thing. Right, right. We assume that they'll play seven. We assume that they'll play six. And then the two bonus games, but maybe that doesn't happen. Who knows? Huh. Okay. Okay. That's so tough because defenses are really going to have to try to limit that. But at a certain point, if you've got Tyler Vons and Amon Ross St. Brown and Drake London and Brew McCoy out there, you are going to be able to have those those big plays. And they're going to be playing defenses like Arizona's and Colorado's and Washington State's and USC and UCLA's more than they're going to be playing you know, half-decent defenses like ASU and Utah. So uh, I'm very nervous making this pick, but I'm going to go with the over here. And and it's really because I I think that, uh, that, that, that the Colorados, Washington States, UCLA's, and Arizona's of the world are going to do me some favors here and help uh, inch this forward for USC. That is a really good pick. I, I Part of me, again, wishes I would have bumped it up a little bit, but... We don't know what the it, total tough. number of games is going to be. Yeah, because it could very easily be USC could have a good season and it could still be under that. Yeah, so that that's going to you know wreak havoc with this one potentially. But good pick on the over there. So I um, I'm, I'm in for the under. It's going to be um, interesting to see what goes down. What's, what's your next over under? Yep, this one. Looking at Drake Jackson on the defensive side of the ball. I'm setting the over under at five point five sacks. Now, he had 5.5 sacks in 11 games last year. So he was averaging half a sack a game. But that was far below what I think is possible for him. And I was looking at the the sort of sacks numbers that uh, the guys are doing right now uh, in the country. So 
there are a lot of guys with five plus sacks in in six games, seven games uh, for the season. So if we're talking eight games for Drake Jackson, will he get to at least the same number of sacks as he did in the last season? So five and a half sacks. So you're looking at more than, you know, I mean, it, like point eight a game or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just under one a game. Depending uh, if it's last six, season, seven, or eight games. Last season, there were two players that were in that range. Bradley and I had 13 sacks in 14 games. That's .93 per game. Uh, and Hamika Rashid over at Oregon State had 14 sacks in 12 games, which was 1.17 sacks uh, all told. So, huh. That's a big number. I think that's a really big number. I think USC could absolutely generate that number that kind of pressure um will it be always from Drake Jackson I don't know I think that I think he's certainly capable of it this is again it, if it's six seven or eight games that affects things here I feel like I gotta take the under not because I'm doubting Drake Jackson but this is a interesting transition year I it's it seems like a big number for the limited number of games USC has. I'm almost more likely to take him having more tackles for loss than having more sacks. So give me the under there. I mean, that like if there was a big number of tackles for loss, I think I'd take that more than I would sacks. That's what I mean. Right, right. I am glad you went under there because I'm fairly confident in my in the in the over on this one. I'm fairly confident. Uh obviously I need Drake Jackson to be healthy coming into the season and uh be be ready to go full full go but if he's in there and he, if he's healthy i i think he's going to be unleashed i think he's capable of getting uh you know 6 7 sacks in a shortened season all right uh, let's go to my second over under this one i one of the hardest lines i've ever picked and i'm so glad i don't have to decide it because you get to decide it for me over under 177.65 as a passer rating for Keaton Slovis. Oh, Lord. And you're like, what the hell does that number mean? Well, it's last year's passer rating plus 10 points. Uh, why 10 points? Because Matt Barkley improved by exactly 10 points from 2009 to 2010. And it's interesting because that would rank fifth nationally last season if he was at 177.65 which would be behind Joe Burrow, who was at 201.9, Jalen Hurts, 192.2, Justin Fields, 181.4, and Minnesota's Tanner Morgan at 178.7. Mind you, Tua Tagovailoa didn't qualify in the stat leaders, but he would have been first with a record 206.93 passer rating last year. Outrageous. It's insane. Utterly insane. So, on the one hand, I think this is going to be very difficult for Keaton Slovis, considering that his best passer rating in a given month last year was November, which was at 170.98. This is seven points higher than that. At the other part of it, I look at it and I'm like, if he's as good as we think he could be, then why can't he be like Hertz and Fields and Morgan and be in that range? So I'm glad you're the one picking this because I can't decide. Okay, so I'm just going to talk this out for a second. This this would be a school record, by the way. 
I'm sure it would. It would be, be him besting his school his school record. record yes. yes. So the the thing that gives me pause is knowing that going into you know Matt Barkley had a lot of room to improve from 2009 to 2010, and you know Keaton Slovis had a lot less room to improve. Like he was so good last year that that it you know it, it's. Every ten points you raise uh, fr- from from where you started, the higher you start, the harder it is to move up another point uh, compared to the lower you started. So, I that's that's so hard to say, especially knowing that sometimes players get into the next year in their progression, and the coaching staff asks more of them. They try to do more. And it it doesn't work out super well for them. On the other hand, I'm very confident that Keaton Slovis will be one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year. So, like you said, why wouldn't he have a passer rating at that level? Again, he's playing defenses like Colorado, Washington State, Arizona, UCLA. So short of the passer rating absolutely tanking in a Pac-12 championship game matchup against something like Oregon or Cal or Washington, short of a bowl game situation where he absolutely just falls on his face, I think... I got more stats. Don't don't make your decision Okay. Yet. I got more stats to throw you away. Okay. Okay. Some things to think about. Okay. In these are splits for Keaton Slovis. In wins last year, eight wins, Keaton Slovis had a passer rating of one ninety. Mm-hmm. One ninety. Full disclosure and losses that dropped down to one thirty three. Um, but here's the interesting one, and, and probably more so for this season against non-winning teams last year, five games, Keaton Slovis had a passer rating. Of 182.63, which is above the 177.65. You look at the schedule, how many winning teams are there on this schedule for USC? I I mean, I get that everyone's got to play each other, so I I don't know if this year's records are going to be truly indicative of how good teams are in in the division. But do you think UCLA is a winning team? Is Arizona a winning team? Is Colorado a winning team? I don't know. Those are tough questions to an- answer. Okay. Before I answer this question, I am just going to, you know, to inform the peoples. Uh, I'm going to go over the teams that USC played last year, that Keaton Slovis played last year. He had a passer rating of 171.4 with two passes against Utah. So let's throw that one out to start with. Uh, but let's see. Against Arizona, he is 161.03. Against Cal, he was 171.14. Against against Cal, he was 218.02. Sorry, against Colorado, I meant. Colorado, he was 171.14. Against Arizona State, he was 196.12. Against uh, UCLA, he was 198.85. So... You know those the 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 tail end of the season he really really picked it up, and this is this is tempting me to go with the over. Ooh, <laughs> bold. 
Yeah. I love it. That's tough, but I love, I, yeah. I, I love the boldness. Thank you. I don't know that I wanted the under, but uh, I don't know that I wanted the over either. Both of them are tough, 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 tough bets. Uh, Alicia, what's your final over under? What do you got? All right. I'm looking at uh, specifically USC's new tagline. I don't know if you heard it, Michael. It's tough, disciplined, united. Now let's take that middle one and look at USC's discipline in 2020. How many penalties per game will they average? I went with 6.9 because that is what USC averaged in 2019. It's a nice average. It's a nice average. So they averaged 6.9 last year. In 2018, they averaged 8.0. In 2017 and 2016, they averaged 7.6. So under Clay Helton, those uh, penalty averages, you'd think it was getting better with 6.9, right? From last year, except that last year was dead last in the Pac-12. So like everyone got better at avoiding penalties in the Pac-12 except for USC. Uh, or at least USC got better at a lower rate than everybody else. So 12th, 11th, 10th, and 8th ranking in the in the Pac-12. So basically my question is is rather simple. The over-under is, is, is pretty straightforward. Will USC average less penalties per game in 2019 than they have at any point in the Clay Helton era? This is something I feel very confident about. No, I'm taking the over. And the reason is twofold. One, again, this is the COVID season. Um, I expect there to be a lot of sloppy play, not just from SC, but from everyone. Sloppy play means penalties. Uh, I expect a lot of that. I don't know that it, it will all be indicative of this team being sloppy or a lack of preparation because of COVID or lack of preparation because of you know, this the Clay Helton coach team and all those critiques that, that are more than valid. Like, I don't know. But it's going to be more than 6.9. I'd also like to point out that Texas, every year that Tyler Lando was there, averaged more point more than 6.9 penalties per game. And I know that Tyler Lando only coaches the defense, but um, he's part of that. So I'm going to take the over. I think this is a case of pessimistic, Michael. Is it? I mean, I wouldn't have taken the the under either. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. All right. All right. Here we go. My last over under. This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, over under two and a half USC wide receivers who finished the season with 5.5 catches per game or more. This is so interesting because I was trying to come up with my over-unders, and that was something I considered, something to do with 5.5 or so catches per game. (laughs) Well, uh, I mentioned it because last year USC had three players who averaged 5.5 catches per game. Uh, Michael Pittman at 7.8, Amon Ross St. Brown at 5.9, and Tyler Bonds at 5.7. What does this matter? Because it doesn't happen as often as you really think it does. Uh, The only players this decade to average 5.5 catches per game in a season, Deontay Burnett in 2017, Juju did it once in 2015, Nelson Aguilar averaged eight catches per game in 2014, Leon Woods did it twice in 2012 and 2011, respectively. That's it. We expected those numbers from Leon Woods, but, you know, I think people would have expected it from 
somebody in 2018. It didn't happen. Uh, people probably would have expected it from Juju in 2016. No, that wasn't the case. Uh, averaging five and a half catches per game is not as common as you think, especially for that number of receivers, which SE did it three times last year because they hit Pittman, Amon Ra, and Vaughn so often. So over under two and a half, I don't think they'll have more players who average 5.5 catches, but I just want to know, will they hit three again? Yes or no? So this one is tough because that's a lot of receivers to be banking on. Uh, the thing that gives me pause about this more than anything is is this over-under is, is as much about uh, availability as it is productivity. One injury or two could really throw this one out of whack. Uh, in a in a perfect world, I think absolutely USC could get that done just between Vaughn, Zaman Ra, and, and Drake London. But I'd have to bank on those three being healthy more or less for the whole season. Uh, there aren't a ton of options uh, with the depth that USC doesn't have a, a wide receiver. So I, I would feel strongly about the receiving chart being a little bit top heavy, but uh, I'm just, I'm just, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the idea of, of pitting, of sort of pinning that much on the uh, on a on a season that goes smoothly for all of those guys yeah uh, it, it, it could be a situation where it's those two dudes who get so much more Amon Ra and, and yeah Tyler Vons, but but I but think Drake London is there Drake, Drake London is there yeah yeah I'm okay I USC's passing offense I have a lot of hope for this year so I I am gonna take the over on this it's not a super confident over because I think it's asking a lot but I, I I do think that USC has the horses there to get that done, even if Rue McCoy has to come in and, and save my bacon there with uh, with some 5.5 catches per game, like by catching 10 catches a game by you know, in the last three games of the season. So I just looked at North Texas, for instance. North Texas in 2018, one guy with more than five and a half. 2016? Zero dudes. 2016, Graham Harrell's first year. Zero dudes. The one thing is that uh, you know Graham Harrell at North Texas, he had a lot of receivers to work with. They didn't have the same situation where they had the sort of primary guys who were just going to be the only guys who were getting targets. So yeah, in the in 2016, the top four had 43, 33, 36, and 32 catches. Like they had more of like the Washington State model where the next guy had twenty nine. Where yeah. there's like six guys who are up there getting regular regular run. I don't you know, just the nature of USC's wide receiver group, I think it's more likely to, to favor having a lot of guys involved in, in um, having a smaller group of guys involved in a big way. The problem is just that you're again, you're asking three guys to really be consistently productive when more often than not it's one guy has eight catches one game and then the next game he has two catches or three catches and then it sort of averages out to five which can be a little bit uh hard to bank on yeah to so to summarize you're taking the over which gives me the under 
Uh, last one. This comes from Michael Mudo on Twitter. Over or under four and a half, 400-yard passing games by Keaton Slovis. This is important because he had four last year in 2019. Uh, all four came during a five-game span against Colorado, ASU, Cal, and UCLA. Three of those teams are teams the Trojans will play this season. He averaged 404.3 yards per game in November. So this is a give and take. He didn't. He wouldn't have gotten the over on that over in last season in a complete season. Mind you, A, he didn't play a complete season, and B, he threw more in November when he averaged more than 400 yards. So there's reasons to, to be bullish on this, and there's reasons to kind of shy away. Yeah, uh, it's th- uh, this one maintaining that kind of production in four of six or seven games is is quite a bit. My biggest concern on this would just be if USC is putting teams away, then they don't necessarily need him to be throwing for 400 yards. If the running backs are healthy, then they don't need him to be throwing for 400 yards. But it's entirely realistic that they will be in that situation where they need and do have him throwing the ball that much. So four games of 400 or 400 plus, four games. Actually, I mean, it's it's actually five because the line's at four and a half. So to get that over, he'd have to have five games out of, let's say, eight. That's a lot. That is a lot. I'm going to go with the under. Even though USC's going to play some bad defenses this year, yeah. he could end up with you know 350 yards against those teams because the game's over by the first half and he's not playing anymore. I'm taking the under also, and it's because of the number of games. If this was three and a half, I might be willing to, to roll the dice and say yes and give me the over. But four and a half needing five to win it? That's a lot of games. That's a lot of games in a six-game schedule that's going to be seven and potentially eight, right? Can he do it? Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just am not comfortable betting on that one. No, not not at all. Not, uh, not in the slightest. So, yeah, that's going to wrap up the over-under. Um, and that's going to wrap up this episode. We're going to be back later this week to preview USC and Arizona State at the Coliseum on Saturday morning in our game preview episode. From here on out, it's college football season. We're so pumped that football is back and that you guys are here with us here on Reign of Troy Radio. Thanks for listening to us, and thanks for getting through a long, long, long offseason and sticking with us here at Reign of Troy Radio. We couldn't do this show without you, and uh, we always love your support, which leads us into talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy, where you can get all our bonus content for as little as 5 55 per month for 10 bucks you get to join our growing community of diehard USC fans called the Rot Crew, including our Slack channel. Talk with us how much as you want about USC football, especially on game days and so much more. Uh, Alicia, you got a final word? The final word is ready. As in, I think I'm ready for the season to begin. I think I'm there too. Yep. Alright. Let's go do it. It's real now. It's real. 
Hasta luego, sí. Sí, sí.